Seems like it starts earlier every year, doesn't it? I think maybe I was hearing Christmas songs, seeing some decorations before Halloween this year. It takes a long time to get to Christmas, doesn't it? Advent, the month of December, the waiting for the coming of Christ. It takes a long time to get to Christmas. And then when we get here, in a flash, it's gone. Next week, the decorations will be gone. We're asking today, so what? What difference will it have made that we have prepared, that we have worked our way, that we have done so much, that we have spent so much time and energy and effort preparing for the coming of the Christ child? And we say he's now here. So what? What will you do now that it's over? What will you do as you go from this place now that we celebrate that Christ has come to be among us? So what? Let us keep silence. Would you join me now and let us pray together this prayer of confession. Later, after the angels, after the stable, after the child, they went back, as we always must. God, forgive us when we never get there to begin with, when we cannot rid ourselves of all the clutter enough to really celebrate Christmas. Or forgive us when we celebrate all the wrong things in all the wrong ways so much that we cannot get back or that the celebrating doesn't change us at all. Even if we did not get there until today, God of Christmas, change us. Even today, in the aftermath of it all, make us like the child of Christmas. And hear this good word on this Sunday of Christmas tide. Know that you are loved and you are forgiven. So be at peace. We read our scripture for today in the opening litany. So hear this brief word. The season of Christmas tide is squeezed between Christmas and Epiphany. The way it falls this year, today is the only Sunday of Christmas tide. Come next week, the decorations will be gone. So we have only this one chance to ask, so what? To quote the famous Ricky Bobby, now that we've finally gotten the little eight pound, six ounce baby Jesus born, my grandmother would have asked, what do now? Let me suggest we take our cue from the shepherds. They're out tending their sheep when the skies open. The message is otherworldly, it's too good to be true. The message is an invitation a heavenly calling, but they're out abiding in the fields. What do now? They've got an answer for us. It is the answer for Christmas tide. It's the answer for life. Let us go now. Let us go now. There are four good sermons in the, those words. They took the initiative. They made a commitment. They realized the urgency of now, they stayed together. Initiative, commitment, now, community. Let me just say to you today on this precipice of a brand new year that the example of the shepherds is an encouragement to a life grounded in the present moment while always facing the future. Let us go out there, keep moving, into the future and let us go 
let us go now. One of the exciting insights that I have gleaned from the process theologians is spoken succinctly by Robert Mesley, who had his own epiphany of this principle one day standing on the shore of Lake Michigan. Like Newton when that apple fell and hit him in the head, it was clear as day to Robert Mesley, the future does not exist. Mesley said, there is no future Lake Michigan waiting for water to fill it. The sidewalk does not exist in the future. The foot I'm going to set down on that sidewalk in, in, a, in another moment does not yet exist. Only the foot in the present. Now I've talked to you about this before. You will probably hear it again. I think it's an important concept. I wrote about it recently in my pastor's column commenting on that song, Mary Did You Know? And I needled a few of you who own the Mary Did Know t-shirt, you know, Mary Knew. And I said, Mary, of course, did not know. Know what? There was nothing to know until Mary stepped into the future creating it by saying yes to all that God makes possible for the world. There was no Jesus story until a man from Nazareth stepped fully into the God-given potential for human beings. There was no Jesus movement, there was no church, until those feeble, foibled disciples lived into one day and then into the next, making the dream Jesus envisioned our present reality. There is no future. We create it moment by moment. The physicists say this is true down to the subatomic level. The whole universe responds moment by evolving moment. Robert Messley says each new moment must create itself out of the previous world. It's why for Teilhard and the other process thinkers, evolution is essential and so beautiful because it speaks of radical openness and ongoing creativity and freedom wild, dangerous freedom. Christmas is not a preordained story. And Christmas Tide tells us it is a story that we are all still creating. God walking with us hand in hand into the exciting, each new exciting opportunity of every lived moment. As Elia Delio says it, the principle of evolving life is is the future, that is, the openness of life to more life and the infinite possibilities of life for life. A world open to the future makes the present rich in possibilities to create something new. The future does not exist until we create it. It may sound strange when the process theologians say it, but as God said it to the prophet Isaiah, God has been saying from the very beginning, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Today, the shepherds beckon us to that same old new thing. Let us go now. The future does not yet exist. On this Sunday of Christmastide, I think God is as, is as excited as we ought to be just to see what we are going to make of it. May it be so which is a future prayer in itself, right? May it be so. 
a young adult that grew up here recently was telling me about some of the other churches he has gone to since he has left Charlotte. And he noted that in all the different churches he had been to, or at least most of them, that no matter what the day was or what the topic or what the scripture was, they always made their way back around to how bad and sinful you were. And he said, I just don't remember hearing that growing up. And I said, that's right. You did not hear that growing up. What you heard growing up was you are loved, you are forgiven, so be at peace. What you learned here was that your name is beloved. What you were taught here is that you are good and a person of inherent worth. This table stands as a reminder of that unconditional, sacrificial love of God embodied in the way of Jesus. You are a new creation. Isn't that the best news of all? So we sit on the cusp of a new year. Some of you are considering resolutions. Some of you have decided to call them intentions because resolution sounds so harsh. I want to share with you something I read this week if you are considering how new you're going to become. Why do we start a new year with promises to improve? Who began this tradition of never-ending pressure? I say the end of a year should be filled with congratulations for all we survived. And I say a new year should start with promises to be kinder to ourselves, to understand better just how much we bear as humans on this exhausting treadmill of life. And if we are to promise more, let's pledge to rest before our bodies force us. Let's pledge to stop and drink in life as it happens. Let's pledge to strip away a layer of perfection to reveal the flawed and wondrous humanity we truly are inside. Why start another year gifted to us on this earth with demands on our already overstrained humanity when we could be learning to accept that we were always supposed to be imperfect? And that is where the beauty lives, actually. And if we can only find that beauty, we would also find peace. This communion table is a reminder that you are already a new creation in Christ. It is good news symbolized in bread and a cup.